Hi, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Juana, and you are listening to Gen Impact, a podcast of the Aptos Community Youth Program, where we provide entertaining and informative feedback for all audiences. Our planet has slowly been crumbling under the pressure of human activities, the main problem being global warming. Global warming is an effect of climate change, where the planet quickly warms over time. In this episode, we will explore more on the topic of climate change and how youth today can help decrease the rise of global warming on our planet. Today we are sitting down with Natalie Olivas, a community organizer with Regeneration Pajaro Valley in Watsonville, to talk about her experience with organizing around climate issues in the Pajaro Valley and what role youth play in the climate movement. Welcome to Gen Impact, Natalie. Thank you. So great to be here. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, welcome. So first off, um, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Did you always want to be a community organizer? What helped you or inspired you really to become a community organizer, like working on climate change? And uh, when did you decide that you wanted this career? Yeah, so a little bit about my background is that I grew up in Los Angeles and in Kern County, um, which is a really big oil hub of California. They produce about 70% of the state's oil. Um, and 90% of its natural gas. Um, so my background is really coming from the like environmental injustice side in that, you know, I grew up in, you know, like a pretty degraded um, area. You know, we had really bad water and air pollution. Like I had asthma growing up, um, but I never really made those connections about, you know, those were relating to the environment and what was around me. I think my understanding of how climate impacts people and communities like the ones I grew up in is what inspired me to be an organizer. But when I was younger, I didn't really have um, that idea that I knew that I wanted to be an organizer um, or that I wanted to work in environmental spaces because I didn't have that connection yet. Um, So it wasn't really until my second year of college when I started learning about like environmental impacts and that, you know, the environment isn't just like, you know, state parks and stuff like that like you know climate and environment is really everything around us it's like the air that we breathe and the water that we drink yeah so really moving away from that perception of like being disconnected from nature because I think um, I was like really wrong in that disconnect so yeah I think realizing that climate and environment is about people is what inspired me to be an organizer. Um, like I have a little sister who, you know, was born in Bakersfield and she's had breathing problems like ever since she was born. Like she's eight years old and like, you know, is always like has had asthma her whole life and like, you know, have to use breathing machines because the air is so bad. Um, and so that that connection to people is what really inspired me to be an organizer. Um, and previous to you know, my job as an organizer, I was kind of working in other environmental sustainability jobs, um, doing things like recycling and green business practices. Um, However, I kind of felt like those were more of a response to the problem than actually addressing the problem like at its core and really thinking about what's driving the climate crisis. Um, So yeah, that's when I heard about Regeneración and how we really think of like climate, climate change and like Um, the oppression that drives climate change as like a larger issue that needs to be addressed. I like knew that I had to be a part of this organization um, because I think it's like much more forward thinking and not just thinking about like, 
oh, what are we going to do with all this trash? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yes. What are some climate issues in your community that you're currently working on? At Regeneración, we really think about what climate change looks like in our community. Um, and Watsonville is a primarily agricultural community. So a big thing that we've worked on in the past year is um, our heat stress campaign. Um, because we did a survey back in 2018 thinking about our asking our community what climate change looks like um, in our area and what are their biggest areas of concern. And a big thing that came out of that was heat stress and how it's impacting our farm workers. So we've created pamphlets to talk to farm workers about um, how to best protect themselves from heat illnesses, how to know the symptoms, while also linking that back to climate change and what's driving the climate crisis. Um, so really just making those connections. And then back in last year, we held a forum um, on farm worker protections and heat stress. And, you know, we featured the voices of farm workers talking about how they're impacted and what, what they wanted solutions to look like. And we brought in policymakers like Robert Revis and educators thinking about really how we can put farm workers at the center of solutions um, because, you know, we really are a frontline community and we are already experiencing these climate impacts. Um, yeah, and I think the people that are experiencing these impacts should be, you know, the ones thinking about solutions, not people who, you know, are often Sacramento or D.C., like, who don't really know what it looks like on the ground, you know, providing solutions. Um, and then a couple other projects this year, we also had a forum on women and climate justice to think about how women are disproportionately affected. Um, so, yeah, just an another way of putting, you know, a historically marginalized group at the center of solutions, you know, people who are often left out of the table or the conversation um, when it comes to climate change. Um, and then a couple other local programs that we have going on is um, our electric vehicle equity program, where we help low-income people get access to more grants and rebates um, for leasing or buying new or used electric vehicles. And we think that's a really relevant solution um, in our area because in Santa Cruz County, uh, transportation emissions are like disproportionately higher than like any other emissions. I think it's something like 60 to 70 percent of wow. our emissions are from transportation. Um, and I think I always like to emphasize that that's not a solution on its own, like everyone getting an electric vehicle. Um, but I think it's part of the solution. So in addition to that, we also um, are big advocates for the rail and trail. We think that, you know, mass public transit is going to be um, a really key thing to cutting down transportation emissions in our area. Another thing related to transportation um, is that we were recently awarded $50,000 to overcome obstacles for clean and equitable transportation. So that'll be another community survey asking people what their preference is for like clean shared mobility, things like van pools and car rentals and bike shares. Again, we want solutions to come from our community. We don't want to decide alone, like, oh, yeah, this is what we think is best for you, so here you go. Um, so this summer we're working on a survey um, in Watsonville to ask people, you know, what their preference is, and that'll set us up for more funding in the future um, to actually implement those things. And then another thing that's kind of my favorite thing to work on um, is 
I organized an advocacy committee made up of, um, you know, just volunteers, people who are interested from Watsonville and, you know, previous like CSUMB service learners. And we work on a variety of social and environmental justice issues. Um, and I kind of, you know, like we think together about what the problems are and like what we want to address that, you know, isn't related to like maybe grant work that like Regen is always doing, like, you know, that has funding and stuff like that. So a lot of that has to do with like city council, what's going on in city council. We've organized to stop new fossil fuel infrastructure. We advocate for things that like aren't, you know, obviously climate related, but things like affordable housing um, and community budgeting, because um, those all really impact how we are going to experience the climate crisis. Like, you know, where are we living? Are we living like in a place with no AC or like crammed with 12 other people? Um, and so I think this work has really helped to like mobilize our community. Um, you know, we put out infographics on Instagram and encourage people to speak at city council meetings. Um, and so our latest project has been raising awareness about more social and like mental health programs for our community. And like that's another thing that doesn't seem obviously climate related, but like our mission is to um, you know, have a just and equitable society where everyone thrives. And so, you know, that relates to climate, but it also relates to like our personal experience and like, you know, are we being properly funded by our community? Is like our community being over policed and or like are our community and social programs not getting enough funding? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really thinking about like, an overarching like how are people being affected by the climate crisis um, and I like can make the argument that every single thing in our lives is like related to the environment and to climate. I think that's so interesting that you guys are focusing on inclusion as well as the climate crisis and how it affects everybody not just certain groups of people and that's really interesting. How did COVID-19 affect you and your work? Um, so it's kind of interesting like I actually became a community organizer, like, you know, in this official title just a few months before COVID happened. Um, mm. So when I began to learn about community organizing, it was like with COVID protocols in place. So it wasn't a huge shift in, you know, the way that I've organized because I was, you know, learning in this aspect. Um, but it definitely presented a lot of problems or like obstacles um, in terms of like, you know, organizing in Watsonville, especially, you know, that um, and, you know, it's a low-income community, and we have a lot of barriers to things like internet and stuff. Um, so I think we weren't able to, you know, reach as much of the community as we liked. You know, people who don't have access to internet um, and things like that. Um, however, I think it did help a lot of other groups of people get more involved. Um, so, like, some of our young people, you know, who maybe are more well-connected, um, you know, we got to plug into that and really mobilize those people. And so we were able to, I think we saw an uptick of like people speaking at city council meetings now because city council meetings are online and, you know, you can just click on and like cook your dinner while like you're listening for your time to speak. Um, so that was a really cool way that I think like COVID affected our work. And I think those are some things that I like, I hope can stay in place that, you know, we can have this increase like, um, community engagement for things like that but I think we also need to continue to like brainstorm how can we get other people to 
um, participate in these meetings and um, it's kind of tricky because like even if you know city council meetings were in person like there's still like a huge time constraint if they're like five hours long you know your average person can't come to those meetings just to say one thing but I think it really brought out like people started to pay attention to those things and I think that now we can begin to have those conversations of like okay what is more creative engagement look like um, in our community mm-hmm. yeah that's really cool um sort of along those lines what did what do you expect to see in regards to climate change in our community in like the next 10 years or so um yeah I think that's like a really scary question that maybe sometimes (laughs) even as like a climate person I don't like to think about um because even when I like think about what's happening now and what's happening in these past few years it's Uh been incredibly difficult in terms of climate impacts you know we've seen these like horrendous fires and people have been displaced and you know the rippling effects of that in our community look like these smoked filled airs you know there was those couple weeks where we couldn't go outside and the sky was orange and you know that happened last year like it's it's difficult to imagine like how can that get worse and you know there's there's things like I think now we are in a more extreme drought, like the drought just keeps worsening, you know, which in turn is going to cause like more intense wildfires and longer wildfire periods or seasons. And so I think that's going to be the norm. And I I, like, don't think too hard about that stuff. Um, (laughs) But I feel like I also, I have more hopeful predictions of what climate action will look like in the next 10 years. And I think that people are kind of waking up to these realities, um, that there is no escaping the impacts of climate change anymore. They are here. And I think people are starting to see that we are ready to take more direct actions. Um, And I expect this to, like, intensify. And I think that we are seeing that people are realizing that we need more climate-resilient communities. Like, we can't just keep dealing with these disasters as they come. Um, because as you can see, we've been kind of wildly unprepared for these things. Um, so really getting ahead of the problem, um, and, and forecasting, like, what are these things going to look like? How can we get ready for them before that they, before they happen? Um, and I, what I've seen, like, you know, in this climate space, working with the cities and nonprofits, people are, um, and I'm hoping to see, you know, us get better and more efficient at these types of things. Yeah, I agree. It it was pretty crazy because everyone really thought that we were all like prepared for anything coming our way. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits, all these fires, it's just a lot of chaos. So is there like um, anything you think would really help and affect people for how we can prepare for certain, like not like anything specific, but preparing in general, how we can um more likely advocate things, spread more awareness of things. Yeah, I think that it takes a lot. Um, and I think that a lot of organizations in our area are a lot of are doing a lot of that great work. But yeah, I think that, you know, being best prepared uh, takes a lot of planning. And I think it takes a lot of like working with other people and other organizations. Um, and I think it also really centers on kind of taking a people-centered approach um, because I think a lot of what, you know, has got us into this 
situation, this crisis, um, I would say that climate, the climate crisis is a, a sy- symptom of a much larger problem. Um, and that is, you know, like oppression and putting profits over people, pro- people and the planet. Um, so I think that once we start to kind of take a different frame um, and really thinking about how do we put people at the center of solutions and how do we think about how all of these solutions that we're going to impact or implement, how are they going to impact people? Um, I think that we can have a much better shot at, uh, you know, being better prepared to deal with these things. Um, yeah, cause like, I don't know, I guess if you like look around in Watsonville and it's like, why aren't we best prepared now to, you know, deal with this? And it's like, when I think of things like trash and pollution and like, um, I really think of like those problems were the result of like, you know, prioritizing like big ag and, you know, not doing anything to like stop the production of uh, plastics and stuff like that. And then especially like Watsonville being like a, you know, primarily Hispanic community, like, you know, it's environment, like textbook environmental racism, like, you know, people of color were put in these like positions where, you know, we're forced to be on the front lines. So yeah, I think that like, once we start to look at, you know, climate action from a more like, equitable and like social justice lens um can we best be best prepared because I think there are a lot of other examples of like people taking like quote-unquote climate action that really isn't in the best interest of people and I won't go into specifics into that right now (laughs) because I don't want to like name any names right now Um, but I think there's a lot of instances of inequitable climate action um, that are only in the best interests of a few select people and not, you know, the greater good. Yeah. Um, back to sort of our current situation right now with the environment. How do you think that the COVID-19 and the pandemic infected, like, everyone and how they think about environment and also our environment in general? I think that's an interesting question because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there was this perception that COVID was having this like really positive impact on our environment that like people were staying home and like the environment was healing. And I think one that really bothered me because I was like, Oh, people are dying. Like nothing is healing. (laughs) Um, But I think that it was like, you know, it was a very like false solutions like emissions cut down for a little while but there was no like real policy change that you know was going to make these things last um and we did see that it was you know very short term that emissions fell and that some pollution was going down um i think emissions went back up like really quickly because you know the shutdown like complete shutdown didn't last very long um and i think a lot of polluters used covid as an excuse to like be bailed out. I think like the oil and airline industries use COVID relief to like bail themselves out and continue their, you know, extractive harmful uh, practices. We saw increases in single use plastics, uh, you know, everywhere. Like the plastic lobbyists were like ready to say like, oh yeah, reusables give you COVID. Like we got to go back to plastic. Um, So it was kind of like, I think COVID might have had, like, 
an overall negative sense in that term. Um, but I think it also showed like how in interconnected we are and like how, you know, like our individual actions do matter. But it does have to be combined with like larger like systemic change and like policy. Um, so I think that hopefully it, gave, it gives us like some frame of reference for like how we can move forward with both like individual action and systemic change. Mm -hmm. How do you think that youth can help create that change on a local and national level? Um, I think that, you know, youth play like a really meaningful role, especially like since it is, you know, our future, y'all's future. Um, and it, it's super unfortunate that like, you know, youth can't vote and that a lot of change happens at the policy level. But I think there are a lot of other things that mm -hmm. um, youth can do that aren't voting. You know, we've seen that with like the Sunrise Movement, who's organized sit-ins in our representative's office, you know, demanding more, um, you know, forceful climate action. So I think it's things like that, like really local organizing and strategizing about what climate action looks like, where you live, and like what power that you do have. Yeah, and I think the same, it goes for, like, you know, statewide organizing, federal organizing, and, like, local organizing, so just really talking to the people that you know. Um, so, like, even if you can't vote for your city council rep or county supervisor, like, you can come still speak at the meetings, and I think that, like, every time I've been at a, at a city council meeting and, like, youth speak, like, the council members are always super stoked to hear their voices um, because they're a voice that's always commonly left out. So I think it's doing things like this, you know, creating podcasts, you know, starting clubs at your school. Um, I think that makes a really big impact. And then I always say, like, talking about climate and climate justice specifically is kind of like the biggest thing that everyone can do. Um, because like I said, like, it's intertwined in everything. So once we all start to realize, like, how it impacts our lives like we can start to think about what we can do about it and that's going to look different for everyone like not everyone has to go become a climate organizer like there's so many roles like within climate justice and you know organizing for more resilient communities that have climate and justice intertwined in them so it's just thinking about what you want to do and how you can tie that into your work mm-hmm are there any reliable sources that youth can access on, like, a daily basis in order to learn more about climate? Um, I don't know that I have any off the top of my head. I know that um, our Regeneración website, we try and keep an, an updated page of different climate resources. We're constantly posting blogs and stuff. Um, but I think it, it kind of depends, like, you know, where you live. I think I have a couple ideas of like different groups like youth for climate justice and like the youth um the county of education youth environment <laughs> oh i'm always lost with acronyms um but i think a lot of local youth groups um can really help you get tied into what's happening in your area so yeah yeah it's very important um, to, for everyone to, you know, see what's happening around our community and around the world, because a lot of the problems that have happened is because we as a community haven't really all been checking 
you know, I can't say every single person has been checking, you know, the news or anything like that. So with checking those mm-hmm. sources, it could definitely help and um, inform more people. And, you know, it'll get more people to talk to others and it'll just spread. And I, I think that that would really help a lot with, you know, climate and our environment in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, on a more personal level, um, how did you spend Earth Day this year? <laughs> I want to say Earth Day was on a weekday. So I, I remember that I went to work. Um, I also work for the city of Watsonville. So I was there half the day. And then the other half um, at Regeneration, I got to speak on a youth activist panel for CalPERG Statewide Climate Summit. Um, so CalPERG is, uh, they have like, chapters at every UC in California um, and they really organize for like you know policy level um, climate action and yeah they held this really cool like all day long summit um, and featured the voices of like policymakers and and I got to speak on a panel with a bunch of other youth organizers um, I always joke that this is probably my last year of being a youth. I'm 24. <laughs> so oh I was like, I'm just, like, I got to cherish these opportunities. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really happy to be a part of that. And I was really inspired by all the different activists that spoke on the panel. Uh, I didn't get into this work until probably like, you know, four years ago. So it's really amazing to see like, you know, 16 year olds and, um, you know, even younger, like people who have been so ingrained in this work. Uh, their whole lives is really inspiring to me. Yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self or to the youth of today? So I don't know if, like, how to frame this as advice, but, like, I wish I would have started learning and retaining information earlier because I think a lot of high school for me just felt like I was going through the, the motions so I feel like I never valued or retained a lot of the important stuff I was taught. So I guess the advice is like, pay attention <laughs> because this stuff is important. <laughs> and like the world is so much bigger than yourself. And like, I think in the moment it might feel like, oh, I just have to turn in this assignment or get through this class. Um, but I think if you like start to think bigger and think about your community, you can like really learn about like the influence that you have and Um, how you move in the world and the impact that you can have and I think like you can start making those connections to like what you're learning in school to like how that plays out in their community in your community because I think now like because I didn't do all of those things like I spend so much time like trying to play catch up of like oh yeah what is like what did I learn in high school in like U.S. history like I totally forgot Okay, well, if we have any more extra time, we would love to know some fun facts about you. I guess fun facts about me. I think I mentioned to you all earlier, like, my youth was, like, I used to play around, like, in the dirt. Like, I didn't, (laughs) I, I, like, hardly ever went to the ocean. So just in this past couple years, like, I really took the initiative to, like, get outside more and, like, figure out, like, you know, what hiking is and... I like got really into it and I love it and like so now I like I hike and I scuba dive and I'm learning to surf and um, I think that like if you really take the initiative I like there's definitely accessibility things but um, yeah just really looking for those opportunities if you have them um, I I've, I've really like cherish <laughs> those opportunities. 
Well, thank you, Natalie, for coming on the show. Thank y'all for having me. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.